Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. What does arsenal mean? Arsenal means weapons or artillery. And that's exactly what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. They are the artillery of, of God, the weapons of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Meaning we don't pick up, if we want to advance Christianity and we want to advance uh, the kingdom of God on the earth, we don't pick up guns or shields or knives and swords. What we do pick up is our word, the word of God, and the tools or the gifts or the weapons of the Holy Ghost, which I'm going to get through them. There are nine gifts of the Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And chapter 12 through 14 goes in depth in Paul's teaching on those gifts and how they are to operate in a church context. And we're going to get into that. We're going to define them all today. And you're going to leave this broadcast having a well-organized definition, knowledge of these gifts, but also a practical uh, way to operate in these gifts and uh, operate efficiently in them. So it's one thing to know about their existence. It's quite another thing to actually operate in them and move in these gifts of the Holy Ghost. You're not just going to have a definition of them. You'll be able to demonstrate. It's one thing to define. It's another thing to demonstrate. You'll be able to demonstrate because I believe that in all this, there's going to be an impartation, an impartation of Holy Ghost power into your spirit where... There's going to be a hunger generated in you. Remember, and I'm going to get into this, but the Bible says that since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. That zeal for spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. That word desire there, it means to burn passionately for. It means to... Have a fervent longing after something. Zelu is the Greek word for desire there. It means to be zealous for. It means to crave it with intense passion. So these gifts do not fall on casual seekers. If everyone that was just saved operated in these gifts, it, we'd have a different world today. But that's not the case. It's not just getting saved that you automatically start operating in these gifts. Salvation... And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the gateway to operating in these gifts. But just being, there's a lot of people who are baptized in the Holy Ghost and all they do is speak in tongues. And we're going to get into tongues uh, in the definition of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and what it means uh, under that context. But because there's a private tongue and then there's a public tongue. There's a lot of people who speak private tongues, but they don't operate in the gifts of the working of miracles or the gifts of healing. They've never had a, a prophetic word come from their mouth they've never had the word of knowledge flow in them because just being baptized in the holy ghost that gives you the access to operate in these gifts but just being baptized simply having the baptism in the holy ghost does not mean it's automatically just going to happen that is the beginning it is the inauguration into the school of the spirit you've got accepted into the school of the spirit but now we need to learn to define these gifts we need to learn how they've operated and how they were dis demonstrated or displayed through uh bible 
Bible men and Bible women of God so that we can learn how they can operate through us. If you want to operate in a gift, you must sit under a gift. I'll say that again. If you want to operate in a gift, you must sit under a gift. And there's no better way to sit under a gift than to read the Holy Scriptures and see how, you know, how Daniel operated in the gift of faith, how Elisha and Elijah operated in the word of knowledge, how Jesus operated in the discerning of spirits. We're going to get into that, but there are scriptural examples on how these things flowed, what we are to expect to see when these things are flowing. Because, and I said this, I said this yesterday on the broadcast, I believe there are people watching me You've craved for spiritual gifts. You've asked God for the operation of these gifts. But because you don't have a clear definition of them, they've, you've, you've actually flowed in these things, but you don't even know. You, aren't even, you haven't even been aware that that was actually the word of knowledge and operation in your life. Or that was actually... There's some people who you always say, man, I, I have a hunch and I just know something's going to happen and it happens. That's the word of wisdom. And we're going to get into the definition of the word of wisdom. But there's some people, it's like you look at someone, it's like you have a download of their character. And you're asking God, Lord, I want to operate in spiritual gifts. I can't, Lord, how come I haven't operated in spiritual gifts? How come I haven't had these things flow in me? And you don't even know that that very fact that you've been able to look at someone and automatically you've downloaded their entire character, whether good or bad, into, in, into your spirit. You just have a knowing about who they are, how they're... You know, Jesus looked at, um, uh, at uh, Nathaniel and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no, de no guile or no, no deceit. He was able to identify Nathaniel's character just taking one look at him. That was the discerning of spirits at work. So I want you to take away from this broadcast the definition of these gifts and how to demonstrate these gifts so that God can supernaturally work his power in and through you his dynamic energy and his dynamic power in and through you so you can be a person of impact in your generation. And if that sounds like you and you're interested in that, type amen in the comment section. Hallelujah. So in studying these gifts of the Spirit, we must ascertain whether they are for us or whether they're not for us. If I'm going to study something in the Bible, I want to know, can I, even, can I even do this or not? Because if I can't do it, then why am I going to spend much time looking into it? You know, I'm not going to study, you know, Jesus, for example. He ascended. Gravity lost hold on him and he ascended in Acts chapter 1. That shows you Jesus literally flew. He was flying. Now, I know that there's no scripture that promises me that I can fly. There's no, there's no scripture or doctrine or any type of New Testament or Old Testament teachings that promises that. So I'm not going to look into flying. I don't, I'm not going to look into it. I'm not going to take Jesus flying as, you know, uh, freedom for me to believe God to fly myself. I'm not doing that because it's not pertinent to me. I'm not going to study it. I want to study in scripture what is pertinent to me and what is pertinent to my assignment on the earth. You know, everything God writes down in the scriptures, everything that he lays out for us and outlines for us in the scriptures, they were not written just for us to have reading material. Paul doesn't go through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 just to give us reading material in case we got bored in this Christian walk. The Christian walk is not boring. It's thrilling and it's exciting when you start to see that the word of God was given to us for our learning 
as an example as to how we too can walk, talk, and operate on the earth. The Bible is not a, it's not a museum for us to visit and uh, uh, be awestruck by what God's done in times past. The Bible is a blueprint. It is a plan. It is a God's MO as to how he desires for us to walk and talk on the earth. And so when Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and he writes it down in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, he writes it down for perpetuity. What does that mean? So that generations after, if Jesus should tarry, Paul didn't know when Jesus was going to come back, but he writes it down for generations after, if Jesus should tarry, that 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 2,000 years from now, where we're at right now, people that read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 can have an understanding of these gifts and can know how they are to operate in order in the church. See, this is where, what happens. There are some places and some churches where they have stepped into these gifts, but without any order. You know, there's been places I've been to where, you know, you have a preacher that's preaching, and all of a sudden, as he's preaching, someone interrupts with a tongue. That's not orderly. God's, God's, if there's a preacher that's preaching and he's just 20 minutes into his message and he's preaching and he's, he's firing off and people are being blessed and someone just fires off in a tongue, God has already stationed that preacher to be the authority in the house. So someone that just fires off in a tongue is actually usurping the authority that God has placed in the house. There is a time for tongues. There is a time for interpretation of tongues. But it's certainly not while the preacher is in the heat of his sermon and people are being blessed by it. So because there has been disorderly, um, disorderly operations of these gifts, unfortunately, there have been many churches that have pulled away entirely from the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They've totally... Uh, debranched from it, disconnected from it, no longer associate with it because they've had a bad experience. There are some ministers today, and I don't even want to call them ministers because they're really not ministers. At least they're not ministers of God because there's no ministry of bashing the church and the body of Christ. But there are some so-called ministries that their entire purpose their, their mission statement is not even to reach the loss. Their mission statement is not to evangelize this lost and dying world. Their mission statement has nothing to do with reaching the one and going after the one and leaving the 99. Their mission statement has nothing to do with the edification and building up of the church. You know what their mission statement is? It's literally, and I can think of one person in particular, He, when he was younger, went into a church, he saw... Total disarray or disorderly conduct in the church. Just a wild party with no, nobody in authority that is able to act as a general in that service to conduct the service aright. You know, God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. These gifts are to operate in order. Uh, and so you have this guy that walks in when he was younger, just got saved. He saw what they labeled as hyper-charismatics really going overboard and they, he left that church and he had a sour taste in his mouth. He said, these people are lunatics. They're driven not by God's spirit. They must be driven by demonic spirits because it's insane what I just saw in there. And so now that person's entire ministry is based on uh, discrediting 
the gifts of the Spirit, and how they've continued. You know, there's two camps of theology. There are continuationists, and then there are cessationists. The, those that believe in... Con, uh, those that believe that are continuationists are those that they, uh, they believe that the gifts of the Spirit never cease to function. And then those that are cessationists believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit cease functioning with... Uh, some people believe the death of the last apostle, and then some people believe that it was the arrival of the New Testament canon. That the moment the Bible was organ, uh, orderly, or was organized rather, the Bible was canonized, the Bible was compiled, the New Testament canon came together, and we were able to couple it with the Old Testament, that at that moment, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were no longer needed for the advancement of the church. We now have the Word, and they take it from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, now we have prophecy, but prophecy will fail. Now we have knowledge, well, knowledge will vanish away. Now we have, we have uh, tongues, but tongues will cease. They, and they take that to, to mean that, 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 that those gifts of the Spirit we're going to seize in this church age. I'll read it uh, from 1 Corinthians 13. It says, For love never fails, but whether there's prophecy, they'll fail. Whether there's tongues, they'll seize. Whether there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. For now we know in part and prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. They believe that that which is perfect is referring to the New Testament canon, the Bible. But that's not what Paul was saying. What he was saying is that when Jesus returns and the new heaven and the new earth is established, when that which is perfect has come, a heaven and an earth that is established being righteousness and justice, being the foundation of the throne, that then we won't need prophecy anymore. We won't need faith anymore. We won't need uh, tongues anymore. We will know even as we are known. We're going to be in the perfect, the presence of God. We'll have perfect knowledge. The Bible says that when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we won't need the gifts of the Holy Ghost. We won't need the gifts of healings in that day. There won't be any sick people. There's not going to be handicapped parking spots in heaven. There's not going to be deaf schools in heaven. There's not going to be hospitals in heaven. When, when, when that which is perfect has come, when heaven, when we make, when we get to heaven and the kingdom of God is established in righteousness and justice and the devil is bound and thrown into a lake of fire for eternity, we're not going to need prophecy because there's not going to be any need of encouragement or exhortation or comfort. So what Paul is saying is that when heaven comes, when that which is perfect has come, we won't need these things. He's certainly not talking about the New Testament canon. So there's cessationists that believe that once the New Testament canon came, or some believe that once the death of the last apostle was uh, happened, that we would no longer need the gifts of the Spirit. But I, can, I just proved to you from there that Paul is certainly not talking about the New Testament canon. He's talking about heaven. So for, let me read this. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. Verse 38. Paul, uh, Peter says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Remember, these are the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Meaning the Holy Ghost is the custodian of these gifts. The Holy Ghost is the custodian of these gifts. They are not products of any individual in and of themselves. They used to think, you know, they used to think that the gift of the word of wisdom was, the, they actually labeled it the gift of wisdom, that it was someone who was intellectually sharp. 
or the word of knowledge, someone who knew how to study and absorb information very, very, very efficiently. They used to label, and I'm talking about like in the 1700s, they used to label the gift of, uh, gifts of healing as those who were doctors or were inclined to medical practice. They used to label the gift of faith as those who just had special faith. You know, they just were more inclined to believe God than others. But I'm going to show you that every one of these gifts are not in any way human or natural or carnal. They all carry supernatural essence or nature to them. I wrote it down here. Lester Sumrall, speaking on the gifts of the Holy Ghost, he says this. Lester Sumrall says this. That the gifts of the Holy Ghost are spiritual giftings. They are not natural. They are not carnal nor solical, but they are spiritual and given by God freely. He also goes on to say, in its characteristic usage, charisma, which charisma is gifts. In the Greek, it means gifts or spiritual gift. Charisma denotes an extraordinary ability that is bestowed upon a human being by the definite strength and power of the third person of the Trinity who is called the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are bestowed as a special service upon the body of Christ by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So these are not natural giftings. They're not things that people are just more prone to excel at. These are Holy Ghost gifts. It's the power of God at work in us and through us to accomplish His good pleasure. So listen to this. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So if you have the gift of the Holy Ghost, now if Peter said you're going to receive the gifts of the Holy Ghost and the promises to you and nobody else, we'd have no point in studying this today. But he says the promises to you and to your children. Now even if he had said you and your children, we, would have, we, we can even possibly conclude that, that the gift of the Holy Ghost was for the first wave of the apostles and their children, but after that we're on our own. But he goes on and says... To, his, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Well, are you called? The Bible says, beloved, called in Christ Jesus. I'm called in Christ Jesus. If you are called. The Bible says, and I believe it's Paul, one of Paul's letters to Timothy, he says that you have been called with a holy calling and purpose with grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus before time again. So I have a holy calling. The Bible says the gift of the Holy Ghost is for those whom the Lord our God will call. That means me. That means you. So if I have been a recipient of the Holy Ghost, then I also can conclude that these gifts can flow in my life. Now, Let's go through two foundational elements that must be in place. Two pillars for these gifts of the Holy Ghost to flow and operate in purity and authenticity. Number one, I'm going to read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The number one ingredient that must be in place for these gifts to operate efficiently is love. Without love at work, these gifts lose their ability to bring profitability. And I've seen this before. I've seen these gifts operate in an atmosphere of jealousy or selfishness or uh, self-promotion. These gifts are not to serve our own interests, but for the interests of others, for the edification of the church. I've seen people use these gifts to promote themselves, to promote their ministry, to promote their name. 
to show people that they're like some strange supernatural phenomenon. They never operate purely and they never bring true profitability to the church when that's the case. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men of angels, but I have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so as to move all mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt, but I have not love, I, it profits me nothing. So it's saying that the gifts lose their ability to bring profit. And if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, Now the manifestation of the Spirit of these gifts is given to each one for the profit of all. The gifts of the Holy Ghost bring profit, bring increase, bring growth. I've never seen a church operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost in a pure manner, in a biblical scriptural manner, and decrease. I've never seen a church operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost and them go lower. I've never seen a church operate in the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, and it turn out that people, that, that their church actually decreased in membership. Now, I'm not saying that if these gifts are at work, there aren't going to be people that turn away from it. Look, Jesus operated in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Jesus delivered a man that had 2,000 plus demons in Mark chapter 5. And when the gathering people came to see Jesus, they begged him to leave the region. Not everyone's going to receive it. That's fine. However, if the gatherings didn't receive him, there were 100,000 other people that did receive him. Because Jesus always had multitudes thronging him, multitudes pressing in on him. You look at Peter and, 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 and the apostles, they operated in the working of miracles. Many signs and wonders done by their hands. And yet they weren't received by everyone. But as for every one person that's going to reject the gifts of the Holy Ghost, there'll be 10 other people that'll desire to see it, to experience it, and to witness it for themselves. So don't gear your ministry. I'm talking to ministers here today. If you're a pastor of a church or an evangelist, don't gear your ministry to suit the lukewarm. The people who are irritated with church service even going beyond 61 minutes. Don't gear your ministry to the lukewarm. Don't lower the thermostat to suit the cold. Those that have dried up. Those that don't even, they don't even want to be there. Gear your ministry. Direct your ministry. Operate your ministry at a fiery, hot level. Because for every one person that you'll turn away, there'll be 10 other people that will tune in and connect and want to be a part of it. Because our generation is eager and hungry for the operation of supernatural works. That's why they're turning to the occult. That's why they're turning to witchcraft. That's why they're turning to Santeria. That's why they're turning to Ouija boards. They want, they, they, the Bible says in Isaiah 8, 18, we are created for signs and wonders. We were created to experience the supernatural. We have a supernatural God. We were created in a supernatural way. We were born again by the supernatural spirit of God. We were wired to crave the supernatural. And even those that don't even, aren't even born again have that DNA, that wiring, that craving in them.
And if the church is not providing something that can satisfy that craving and not satisfy for the sake of satisfying, man desire, man, I said it, we were created by a supernatural God. Why do you think we have Superman as DC Comics? Why do you think uh, Stan Lee had Spider-Man and, 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 and Iron Man and all these guys? You know, DC Aquaman and all these superheroes. Because we, we were wired to desire something superhuman. And God didn't put that in us so that we can go to the devil's camp and find it there. He put it in us so that we can seek his hand, his face, and see these things. God does not want you to operate in a natural way. You know, these gifts, and I'm going to show you how they operate in a church context, but these gifts will actually bring you individual help, individual assistance. These gifts can actually enable you to operate at a higher level, give you a supernatural advantage than everyone else that's just operating by natural frequency. That's what gave Moses an edge in life. It's what gave him that influence in life. He operated, you know, the gift of faith. You see it at work in his life. When he comes before Pharaoh and he drops his rod before Pharaoh and it turns into a snake. That was the gift of faith. He threw it. He didn't do anything. He just laid it on the ground. And, and the, the stick turned into a snake and swallowed up the snakes of the Egyptians. There's the, the demon power is not even be to, com to be compared to Holy Ghost power at work in us. That's what you see in Simon. Acts chapter 8. Philip begins to do signs and wonders amongst the people, people that were crippled, people that were demon-possessed, are delivered and healed. And Simon the sorcerer sees that. He immediately abandons witchcraft and says, hey, give me this power. Why? Because he realized demon power is no match for Holy Ghost power. For greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. So we need to provide that environment in our churches. Don't water down the message just because I'm afraid some people are going to be uncomfortable if we speak about tongues this week. Let them be uncomfortable. My good preaching should do two things. It should comfort the afflicted and it should afflict the comforted. Some people are too comfortable in some churches. They walk in chewing gum. Walk in with uh, a latte in their hand and just during worship, they're just drinking latte, not even singing the words on the screen, just looking at the screen, walking around, criticizing why that person's lifting their hands and singing a little louder. Some people are too comfortable walking in and, you know, there's some preachers that are too comfortable in their own house, sitting on a stool as they preach with their arms crossed. I just want to share some thoughts with you today. You know, as I was meditating... Hey, there's no power in that. Preach the word. Nobody wants to hear about your thoughts. And get off that stool. Start walking. Some people are too comfortable. We want to set our church up like it's a cafe. Let Starbucks be a cafe. You be the church. You be the body of Christ. You be a place where people that are lost. You know, it's funny because there's people coming into your building that are one step away from pulling a trigger and blowing their brains out. One step away from overdose. One step away from their marriage collapsing. And you're going to get up on that pulpit with some chillax look. Enough. No wonder they mock the church. No wonder 
Now when people are in crisis, they don't go to the church, they go to a psychiatrist. At least a psychiatrist seems to be more invested in what those people have to say and hearing them out. Some people are too comfortable. Oh, we don't talk about the gifts of the Holy Ghost here because we've seen it misused in times past. All right, I've seen salvation perverted, the message of salvation. Am I not going to talk about it anymore? I've seen healing perverted. I've seen uh, prosperity and the message of financial stewardship perverted. I've seen people take advantage of that more than any other doctrine for selfish gain and advancement. What, am I not going to talk about what the Bible says about money because of it? Just because someone... The Bible says, Paul said this, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of the word of God. Paul said this in Acts 26 when he was brought before a council. He said, brethren, according to the way which they call a heresy, so worship I the Lord God of my fathers, fully preaching all things that are written in the law and the prophets, fully preaching, not holding back, not holding back. I'm not shrinking back. I'm going to tell the whole council of the word of God because I'm going to be judged one day based on what I taught and preached. You know, when you don't teach about the gifts of the Holy Ghost, it's like having a warehouse full of food, knowing, knowing that there's people that are starving out there and not giving them the key to the warehouse so they can eat. And it's a, a disservice. So two foundations that need to be in place. One is love. And the, the next, so on the love mark, I'll go a little deeper into that. When you, when you are seeking to flow in these gifts for perverted reasons, twisted reasons, they will not flow effectively in you. If your desire to flow in these gifts is not for two reasons, loving God and loving people, they will not operate effectively in you. And if they do operate, you know, it, it, it won't bring profitability. It'll actually do more harm than it'll do good. Love does not promote itself, the Bible says. Love does not seek its own. Love is not envious. Love is kind, and love is, does not parade itself. So it's not about self. It's about what God wants to do. Number two, unity. Psalm 133, how, how blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that was dripped on Aaron's head that drips down into his beard and into his garments. That oil represents the anointing. And the Bible says when there's unity, that's when the anointing flows best. So two things need to be in, in, in place for these gifts to operate properly. Love and unity. Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost fell, they were what? All together, love in one accord, unity. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were at. There's been great men of God that started off good in love and in unity. But then as they started to see these gifts operated, they got prideful, they got high-minded and they began to distance themselves from the body of Christ. They began to disconnect. They became an island of themselves. And when that happened, the gifts no longer function because these gifts are not connected to an individual. These gifts are connected to the body. And only when you're connected with the body can they flow. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, we are all members of the body of Christ and members in particular. And he says that there should be no schisms amongst the, the body. There should be no division. 
A lot of times these gifts are not operating in the church because you know what is operating in the church is gossip, is division, is backbiting, whispering, and every other hateful, demonic thing. And Paul already says, he says, you can't eat from the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't order things off both menus. You can't order gossip off the devil's menu and then order the gifts of the Holy Ghost on God's menu. You can't serve two masters. You have to cut one off before you can be loyal to the other. And so love and unity are the foundation for these gifts to operate. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first part of it. Verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts in the Greek pneumatikos, which literally means spirituals or the things of the spirit. So another way to interpret that would be the way the spirit operates. I've given this analogy and I always like it and I'll never stop saying it. I have a house. I'm in a room in my house. I have electricity running through my house, wiring all through the walls. I have plugs in my walls. I have equipment here. I have lights that are lighting up this studio right now. If I had my lights, but I didn't plug them into the wall, the lights would do no good. Though the electricity is circuiting through these walls, and I'm one step away from profiting from this electricity, for this electricity to actually work something beneficial for me, it will not work until, or it won't be any, uh, of any benefit to me until I branch my computer plug into the wall, my audio interface into the wall, my lighting, and my screen into the wall that I have behind me. Even so, you are baptized in the Holy Ghost. You are filled with the Spirit of God. God's Spirit dwells in you. You are supercharged. There's electric power running through you. Resurrection life running through your veins. However... Until you have an understanding of these gifts and you know how to operate in them, you're not plugged in. And that these nine gifts that I'm going to talk to talk to you about will not efficiently flow through you. So these are the things of the spirit. These are the way, you know, you have appliances in your house. You have an oven. You have a microwave. You have a stove. You have a, a, a fridge. Those, you can think of the gifts of the Holy Ghost as the appliances of the Spirit. The electricity is in the wall, but the appliances are what brings uh, benefit from the electricity that's already running through your wall. We have the Holy Ghost, but these are the appliances. These are the ways that the Holy Ghost works and brings benefit or profit to the church. Hallelujah. I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. So he says concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. That tells you that ignorance of the gifts of the Spirit will disqualify you from operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Ignorance as to what these gifts are or how they operate in individuals will disqualify you or cut you off from being a candidate in demonstrating these gifts to your generation. I don't want you to be ignorant. Isn't it funny the very thing that Paul says I don't want you to be ignorant on? The whole church, not the whole church, but many churches, they go out and become super ignorant on. When's the last time you and your church? I'm not saying all churches are like this. There are great churches in America and Canada and abroad that speak on the gifts of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to ever make blanket statements. But 
When's the last time, maybe in your church, that you heard a sermon on the gifts of the Holy Ghost? Something that Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant on. And yet 90% of the body of Christ is ignorant on it. They think, like I said before, they think the gift of the word of knowledge is the gift of knowledge and that they're just smart people. The gifts of healing is just doctors. That's, you've become ignorant on it. And no wonder they're not, they're not in display or demonstration. You know that you were Gentiles, how, uh, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts. So verse 3, Paul is saying the source of these gifts is the Holy Ghost. He's saying nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. Nobody can operate in these gifts that would bring repentance in the people. That, you know, these gifts carry redemptive value. That's another reason he includes verse 3 in there, that nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. These Holy Ghost gifts carry redemptive value. The word of knowledge is not so I can know what's in your bank account. I've seen these prophets. I know what's in your bank account. Okay, what, what's God going to do about it? Well, I know... Uh, I'm hearing, I know what your brother's name is. Your brother's name is this. Great. I, I saw one preacher and he called a woman out of the crowd and said, this is your brother's name. He's got this disease. He's dying and he's going to die. And the woman just broke down in tears. You never see that in the Bible. Hey, thus saith the Lord, this person and that person that are struggling with this. Toodaloo. On your own. Good luck. No, every time the Holy Ghost moved on people in Scripture and like in 2 Chronicles 20, when, uh, I forget his, his name, but one of the prophets, the Holy Ghost comes on him. He, they're faced with three armies that have come to wipe out Ju Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat and all those that dwelt in Jerusalem. And the prophet speaks by the Lord and he gives them a solution. God never gives diagnosis without a solution, without an answer, without something, you know, with a, with a, a resolve to it. it. doesn't just say, you know, you're going to die. All right, that's great. What? That's not a gift of the Holy Ghost. If anything, that's like witchcraft. Whenever the Holy Spirit moves, there's redemptive value to it. When there's a word of knowledge, it's because God is revealing something in the Spirit for the purpose of inspiring that person's faith to believe for a change in that area. So there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So there's different gifts, nine gifts. We're going to go through the three categories today. But it's the same spirit. It's not another spirit. So that's why very dangerous for people who see these gifts operate and they label it as demonic. That's what Jesus said is the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Labeling God's work, the Holy Spirit's work as demonic. Jesus had cast out a demon. He said, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. And the Pharisee said, this man cast out demons because he is Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And it's by the devil himself that he's casting out these demons. He's satanic in nature. Jesus said, any word of blasphemy spoken against the Father will be forgiven. Any word or blasphemy spoken against the Son will be forgiven. But any word of blasphemy spoken against the Spirit, that man is guilty of an impardonable sin. So be very careful. When you see something that you're not comfortable with or you've never seen before, caution. Do not just label or be quick to label things as demonic. Because you have a lot of people that, you know, 
Bible says in verse 6, there are diversity of operations, but it's the same God working all in all. Operations, meaning you see someone that ministers healing in a different way than you, and you automatically label it as demonic. But it says it's the same God working all in all. It's just diversity of operations. So there's diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Jesus healed many that were sick, but he didn't always heal them in the same way. One man came to him that was blind. He spat on his eyes. Another person came to him that was blind and he touched his eyes. Another person came to him that uh, had an issue of blood for 12 years. She just touched the hem of his garment and was healed. And still yet, there's others like a leper that came to Jesus and he just touched his skin. Someone else, a centurion, came on behalf of his servant needing healing of some sort of uh, neurological disorder. He was paralyzed. And Jesus just spoke the word and he was healed. So healing was the final result and product of what Jesus was doing, but he operated in different ways. I've seen ministers where, you know, T.L. Osborne, for example, in his massive gospel crusades that he would have, he would have everybody take their right hand and put it on their diseased area because there was way too many people to go and lay hands. I mean, you have 500,000 people. You're not going to go lay hands on 500,000 people. You're going to die doing that. So it would take days. So what he would do is have them take their right hand, put it on their sick or diseased area, or if it was a bunch of things on their head, and he would just pray a general prayer. And many were healed in that method that he used, that God gave him. Wigglesworth balled up his fist once and punched a man who had stomach cancer right in the gut. And he fell. And actually, he died for a moment. And the doctor had brought the, who had brought the patient to Wigglesworth's meeting in the early 1900s said, you've killed him. The family's going to sue. And Wigglesworth just looked at him and said, he's healed. He's healed with his British accent. And he just kept moving on. And he lifted his hands and thanked God. Well, five minutes later, or a couple of minutes later, a crowd, the crowd erupted in praise and in laughter because the man who had been punched by Wigglesworth got up and ran around the sanctuary and uh, everybody saw that he not only just, he not only didn't die, the cancerous lump that was the size of a football on his body was deflated, totally gone, withered up, and he was healed in his body. And then laughter erupted because he was still in his hospital gown and his back butt flaps were still open. And so he was openly exposed to the entire congregation. But you see, Wigglesworth, he punched the dude. I never punched someone. I heard of a man of God who was in the States ministering. And as he was ministering, the Lord spoke to him to go and drop kick a guy in the front row, hit him right in the chest. And he said, I will not do it. As he, you know, he's preaching, having this conversation with the Lord. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And the, and the Lord said it again, go and drop kick him in the chest or he'll die and his wife will be a widow. So he said, all right. And he just jumped off the platform and said, forgive me, sir. And he literally drop kicked the guy in the chest. When he, and he fell out, whether in the spirit or not, I do not know. But here's the good news. A couple of days later, he came and testified at church that weeks before this, he had been diagnosed with an incurable heart condition and his heart had like some weird arrhythmia or something like that. And it was incurable. And the doctor said, your life expectancy has been greatly diminished. You don't have much time to live. I've never seen someone live past a certain amount of time with this. Your heart is weakening by the day. He was so scared or sad 
about it. He didn't even want to tell his wife. His wife didn't even know about it. But the Lord spoke to that preacher and said, go and drop kick him in the chest. Had he not believed and acted on it, that man may have died prematurely. But you see, there is the same gift of healing or working of miracles, whatever you want to call it, that happened there. But a diversity of operation. It was a different way to operate. I don't suggest if you're a minister to go out and drop kick everyone unless you hear the Lord saying it. I have a man, a man of God that I know dearly who was in a service and there was a woman that came to him and said, the Lord spoke to me. She was blind in one of her eyes. The Lord spoke to me that you have to spit on my eyes and I'm going to have my sight returned to me or recovered. And he said, uh, he says in telling the story, well, you know, when are you ever going to get another time? Because he's like, I didn't have the faith to do it. But if that's what the Lord spoke to her to do or to ask me to do, I'll do it. Because when are you ever going to get another um, uh, occasion where someone literally comes to you and asks you to spit in their face? So he said that he did it. He, and he spat. He like got a loogie out. No, I don't think it was a loogie. But he got all the moisture he could get from his uh, mouth. And he spat right on her eyes. And her eyes came open. And what was funny that night was that there were many that saw that happen that had blindness or some sort of vision impairment. And they all lined up at the front and said, spit on our eyes too. So the rest of the service, he just, he's like, all right, when are you ever going to have the chance to do this again? He just went one by one and started spitting. <laughs> he started spitting on everybody's eyes. He's like, whether or not all of them got healed, I don't know. But that one woman that came at the front that heard from the Lord, she received her healing. There are diversities of operations diversity of operations but the same god who works all in all but here's the here's the nugget of wisdom that you need to get verse 7 but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit for the profit of all no church ever operated in these gifts and decreased they always multiplied always multiplied so let's go through the three categories of the gifts of the holy ghost Three categories of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. You know what I'm going to do today for the sake of time? I'm going to give brief definitions of each and every gift. And then tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to do an in-depth study on the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And Old Testament, New Testament, and modern day examples. I'm going to do that. So we'll have a two-part series on this. So stay tuned tomorrow. Because it's, it's, it, we're going to go deep on the gifts of the Spirit. But today I'm going to give you a surface level understanding of these gifts. Let's go through the three categories of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. You know, the Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the advancement of the church. Jesus, when he said that, he was obviously assuming that the church was loaded with the heavenly arsenal and equipment necessary to stand against the darkness of the age. When Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the advancement of the church, he was talking about a church that is locked and loaded with these gifts. Not a church void of power. Not a church that is neglecting these spiritual weapons that have been available, made available to us as believers. He's not talking about churches that have come up with smoke shows and fancy concerts and light shows to draw in the multitudes. That type of church, now I'm not saying if you have nice lights and smoke and all that, you're, you're Ichabod. I mean, if you have those things without the operation of these gifts, the gates of hell will prevail against you. But the gates of hell will never prevail against a church and the body of Christ. That's what the early church had. They were unstoppable because everywhere they went, Paul, Peter, John, 
The, the were, many signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles, and many believed on him, seeing the miracles that they did perform. Hallelujah. A church void of these gifts has lowered drastically its potential impact in any community and will never look anywhere near what the New Testament church looked like. A signless church is a powerless church and a depreciating one. It's a church that is withering up. Lester Summerall says this, if we have these gifts functioning within us, they become our battle axes, our guns, our swords, our spears, all the artillery we'd need to destroy the works and powers of the devil. You know, the Bible says in the last days, darkness is going to increase on the earth. Darkness is going to spread rapidly on the earth. And it's the church that is equipped with the necessary artillery that will be able to subdue the darkness and continue the work of God regardless of any principality or power that would try to stand in our way. There's many churches that you hear them talk, there's a real principality of this in this region. There's a, well, why did you receive the anointing to complain and document and diary and, and, and just write a blog about the principality in your region? Or did God give you the Holy Ghost to unlock these spiritual gifts in you so you can actually do something? Bible says, greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. G David said, by the Spirit, I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall. These gifts were not given to us so that we can coexist. These gifts were given to us so we can dominate. Dominate. Can a soldier go to war and dominate without a gun? Can a soldier go to war without proper firepower and do something? Can a soldier go to war and the, the, other, the other nation has tanks and F-35 fighter jets, F-18 fighter jets, and we're just going there with water guns, and we're going to actually stand up against these guys? No way. The devil has weapons. The devil has strategy. But we have better, stronger weapons and a much wiser strategy. Could you imagine a NASCAR going out on the NASCAR racetrack, and it's missing its engine? Wouldn't go very far. So while prayer is the engine of the church, the gifts of the Holy Ghost is the evidence of a praying church. The power that prayer produces will be evidenced in these wonderful gifts and tools operating in our lives. These gifts are not for rocking chair believers. What do I mean by that? If you're set and intent on just staying where you're at, chilling, just being a casual Christian, content with just making heaven, You'll never have these gifts operate. These gifts are not for rocking chair believers. These gifts are for people that are on the go for God. I remember a story I heard once. A man was praying in his bathroom. And he was like, I guess, next to his toilet on the bathtub ridge. And he began to pray, God, I want the gifts of healing to flow through my life. God, I need the working of miracles to flow through my life. Lord, I want to be used mightily in these gifts of the Holy Ghost. God, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. The Lord spoke back to him and said, who, if I gave you the gifts of healing, who are you going to heal in this bathroom? He's like, you've never even moved out to lay hands on anybody that was sick. What would these gifts be used for, for you? So you can have it as a scout badge? Oh, I've got the gifts of healing. I told you yesterday, that's not how it works. You have the Holy Ghost, 
in the Holy Ghost, resident in Him, are these diverse operations, these gifts, and it's in our stepping out that these begin to flow. When you see someone that is sick, the Holy Ghost will move through you the gifts of healing. You see someone in need of a miracle, blind eyes, deaf ear, the Holy Ghost, as you step out in faith, it'll unlock that gift of the working of miracles. So these are like, you have to see it as like you have a tool belt. You have a hammer, you have a, a, a leveler, you have a screwdriver, you have uh, different types of equipment on your tool belt. I, if I need to hammer something, my level marker ain't going to help me any good. If I need to screw something in, hammering's not going to help. I don't need a hammer. If someone needs to be healed, they don't need a gift of prophecy. They need the gifts of healing or working of miracles. Can you say amen? So the Lord responded to him and said, if I gave you the gifts of healing, what use would it be to you? You've never laid hands on anybody. Here he is praying. There's people that are praying and it's like they've used prayer as a scapegoat to actually doing the work of God. They've used prayer as an excuse to not be out in the harvest field. No, we don't just pray for power. These gifts don't just operate in prayer warriors. These gifts operate in soul winners, people on the go. People who pray for the gifts but are, but are actually ready to lace up and get in the game. If you desire these gifts to operate in your life, you must be a person of action. So briefly, let's go through the three categories of the gifts, brief definitions, and tomorrow we'll get in depth. Number one, revelation gifts. This is where God reveals his truth and his omniscience, his knowledge to man in a fragmented manner. He never, it's called the word of knowledge. It's called the word of wisdom. It is not the fullness of his knowledge. We won't have that until we see him and we're like him. It's not the fullness of his wisdom. It is a word of wisdom. It's information that is received from heaven that could not be obtained any other way. Speaking of the word of knowledge, which I'll get through it right now, three gifts under the category of the revelation gifts. Number one is the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is not the ability to absorb information or knowledge. The word of knowledge is a supernatural gifting whereby God gives you a fragment of his knowledge pertaining to a past or present event, not futuristic, past or present, where he reveals a piece of information to you. It's revealing a fact that is in existence. It's not you looking at a person and having detective skills and just like reasoning out where he's at in life. That's not the word of knowledge. There are a lot of people that are good at doing that that are not operating by the word of knowledge. It's not looking at someone and seeing like, you know, yellow fingers and cigarette smell on his breath that I perceive that you smoke cigarettes every day. That's not the word of knowledge. That's just good detective work. The word of knowledge is the Lord dropping a fragment of knowledge that is already in existence pertaining to a person's situation, his body, his life, a circumstance. I've had the word of knowledge come on me for people. I prayed for someone recently who had a heart disorder in New York City. I called him out. He didn't look sick. He didn't look unhealthy. I said, the Lord is going to give you a brand new heart. The old heart, everything that was in that clogged it up is being cleared out. Well, I didn't know he had had two heart attacks in the past year for clogged heart arteries and all that. And uh, that night, the Lord healed him. The next day, he testified he didn't even have to use his sleep apnea machine because the heart problems would cause him to have um, uh, the apnea 
where he'd, he'd snore loud and sometimes like not breathe while he was sleeping. So he had a machine that would help him sleep and he didn't have to use it. And the, the wife said and testified he didn't even snore last night. And then he said, the next day he said, I can lift my arm. He had a stint that was placed in his chest that uh, prevented him from lifting his arm properly. Well, he came the next night and was lifting it properly, which shows you that the Lord not only healed his heart, he gave him a brand new heart and removed the stint. That faith Man, when I told them, the Lord's going to touch your heart tonight, give you a brand new heart. And I was not talking about his spiritual heart and his emotions. I was talking about his physical heart. When I said that, it surged his faith. His faith was now at an all-time high because he knew, man, why would God, why would God reveal a piece of knowledge without wanting to do something about it? God's not some magician. God's not some uh, fortune teller or whatever that you can call at 3 a.m. and they just tell you, oh, I hear your relative in hell or whatever. I hear your, your relative that's died. They're saying this. God's not like that. God, that, That's all demonic counterfeiting and bull poo poo. God's gifts bring redemptive value. That man was healed that night. So it's revelation re received not through the five senses. It's not something you can see or hear. It's not hearsay that you've had going around. It, it's supernatural. John 1, Jesus looks at Nathanael and says, Before Philip called you while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael says, Behold, you are the Savior of the world. You are the Messiah, the Lamb of God. Jesus, without he wasn't next to him. He wasn't near him. And yet he said, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. That was a word of knowledge. He knew where he was. Elisha, in 1 Kings chapter 5, I believe it is, or chapter 6, he's revealing, 2 Kings 6, he's revealing uh, the strategy of the enemy, the Assyrians, to the king of Israel so that they're never blindsided. And the king of Assyria ends up getting frustrated and says, we have a, a, a mole amongst us. But there was no mole in his army. There wasn't a general that was outing or leaking secrets. It was Elisha, by the word of knowledge, was hearing exactly what was being spoken of, even in the king's chambers. Hallelujah. This, these gifts will help you tremendously. Give you a supernatural advantage in life. Keep you from being blindsided. Keep you from take, being taken by surprise. Keep you from demonic traps that people might set for you. Number two, the word of wisdom. This is the revealing of a prophetic future. The gifts... The word of wisdom is what was operating in the prophets of old. I'm going to read this in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And listen to this. Verse 9. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. What's the mystery? It was Christ coming, the Son of God. It's the gospel. That was the mystery. That God was going to send His Son to take on sin in His body, so that we, the sinners, might receive the king's life, might receive eternal life, that our sin would be blotted out. But you see the prophets of old constantly hinting at that. I'm going to make a new covenant with you, Isaiah said, and I'll blot out your sins and transgressions, your sins and lawless deeds I'll remember no more. In that day, I'll make a new covenant with you. And my law, I will write in your hearts. In that day, I will dwell with you. You will be my, my people and I will be your God. You look at it in Genesis 1, Moses, right? Uh, Genesis 3, Moses writing of what happened in the Garden of Eden when God was pronouncing the curse on Satan. He said, you have bruised man's heel, but one is coming who will crush your head. Speaking of the Messiah that would to come. So there's, there's these mysteries throughout the scripture in the Old Testament. There's, there, there are these hints that God is going to send this Messiah. The Jews live in expectation that the Messiah is going to come. We know the Messiah has come and is coming back. 
But Paul here is saying it's a mystery that was from the beginning of the ages hidden in God. Verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to principalities and powers in heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The prophets of old documented the purposes of God. The word of wisdom is a fragment of the knowledge of God's purposes, God's plans, and God's God's uh, prophetic future for the earth. I know a lot of people, they, they think that's the gift of prophecy. We're going to get into what prophecy truly is. The gift of prophecy is not the foretelling of future events. That's actually the word of wisdom at work. Because the wisdom of God, I'm going to read it here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, However, we speak wisdom amongst those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, the hidden wisdom, which was ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, or else they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what was the hidden wisdom? The hidden wisdom was that Christ would come and be crucified and rise again. The prophets foretold of that they were operating in that word of wisdom. Hidden wisdom. So when you receive a word of wisdom, God is unraveling the hidden wisdom of God. Think of it. We have wisdom in the word of God, things that we can know. But then there's hidden wisdom. The, for, the future, what else could be the hidden wisdom outside of the future? What is to come? Only God knows the future. Matter of fact, God knows the future better than we know the past. So when God reveals a futuristic event that is to come to pass, it is actually the operation of the word of wisdom where God is showing someone just a piece, not the entirety, but just a piece of his plans and purposes as to what's going to come to pass in the future. The Bible calls it the hidden wisdom. The revelation of the divine purposes and plans of God. Number three in the category of the revelation gifts is discerning of spirits. This gift deals with four types of discernment. Number one is, and first of all, I'll, I'll clarify this. It is not the gift of discernment. There's a lot of people who love to go out and criticize everybody. And they think that's the gift of discernment. There's no gift of discernment. God can help you by the spirit to discern something, to understand something, but there's no gift of discernment. When Paul's talking about the gift of discerning of spirits, he's not talking about you being highly critical of everybody. There's some ministries, all they do is they have a blog and they just take a dump on every minister they don't agree with. There's some YouTube channels that if they don't be careful, they're setting themselves up for a rude awakening because all they do is this so-and-so expose, so-and-so expose, so-and-so expose. And there's nothing to, it's not like they've denied the deity of Christ. It's just they've done things differently than they do it. And so they feel like they're the watchman on the, watchman of the tower and the man of the hour, the, the Jeremiah of their generation. We're going to call it all out. Bogus. There's no ministry of discernment. And there's no police in the body of Christ. Let the Holy Ghost deal with them. Unless they've denied the deity of Christ, unless they have denied or rejected the Immaculate conception and the incarnation of Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, unless they've denied holiness, unless they've denied the reality of sin, then leave them alone. Leave them alone. Let God, the Bible actually says 
I believe it's in first, it's in Romans. I read it yesterday, so it has to be in Romans. I've been going through the Bible in 21 days, so I'm reading a lot of scripture right now, and I don't know what's what and where's where. But in Romans, it says pretty much to leave a man to God. Leave a man to God. Don't judge another person's servant. Leave him to God. He's God's servant. Leave it up to God. If I don't agree with somebody that I know to be a man of God, I'm not calling them up and saying, hey, brother, I think you're wrong. Leave it to God. God will pray for them. God will correct them. God will lead them. God will, the Holy Spirit, we talked about it yesterday, he guides into all truth. So instead of going on Facebook and saying, preacher, this and that, he went out and said this. Oh, look at what preacher, you take a soundbite and it's totally out of context. Look at what this person said. The Bible says, judge nothing before the time. When the Lord comes, he'll bring to, to light every secret and hidden thing of the heart. And God himself will judge them. Now, I said it before. There are people to call out in the body of Christ. There are people who are wicked. And they're angels or ministers of Satan disguised as angels of light. They need to be called out. Paul called out people. There are people that must be called out. But look, I'll give an example. There's a guy, a preacher by the name of John MacArthur. John MacArthur disagrees with me. He might actually think I'm demon-possessed. I don't know. He doesn't know who I am. I'm just saying if he came across me one day, he'd probably think I was demon-possessed because I speak in tongues. He doesn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't believe in speaking in tongues. He actually doesn't believe in healing the way I believe in healing. But he still, and I know the man is a sincere man. He might be sincerely wrong because I believe so, but doesn't doesn't matter because I believe him to be a sincere man and he is advancing the gospel. He's a heavy donor into uh, missions. I don't recommend you read any of his stuff because I don't I don't agree. We don't share the same lens and light of scripture. But I'm not going to go out and and say John MacArthur exposed. He's a wicked servant. I'm calling this guy out for who he is. He's demonic. I don't be careful that you don't label everything as demonic. So there's no gift of discernment. There's the discerning of spirits. What are the four categories of the discerning of spirits or type of spirits that you must discern by this gift of discerning of spirits? Is the discerning of spirits. So what spirits are we discerning? One, you can discern the human spirit. Jesus said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? Jesus took one look at him and he knew. He's, 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 he's not a fake. He's not a phony. This guy's the real deal. So there's a lot of people who they think the discerning of the human spirit is only on the bad thing, that we're going to discern people that are out to get us, people we should stay away. Yeah, there's the discerning of spirits in that it'll guide you away from people that are out to hurt you, people that you should stay away from, people that are crooked or corrupt. The discerning of spirits will allow you to see that corruption. But on the flip side, there's also a positive element to it. You can see by the discerning of spirits people that are pure. People that you should connect with. I've had this. In recent time, there's someone, a couple in my mind um, that I'm thinking of right now. And uh, I met them in November. And when I met them, I just discern in my spirit purity. I discern in my spirit that we are like-spirited together. The same faith, the same mind, the same, you know, eagerness to see souls won. And I've connected with them. And we've become friends. And I'm sure in the future we'll do uh, we'll do things together, ministry-wise. So, and you know, this discerning of spirits, especially in particular with uh, 
reference to the human spirit, this will help you, especially if you're an employer. When you're hiring people, when you're hiring people, you'll be able to discern whether this person is going to cause you trouble in the future or not. When I hired the people that work for me now, I, I, the way you want to know how I hired them? I was in a service and I saw Pamela across the, the auditorium and I just felt in my spirit, she's a woman of pure heart, hire her. So I asked her brother who was sitting next to me, is she, is she a good worker? Like, how's her work ethic? Yeah, she's great. All right, I go up to her after service and I said, if you want a job, you're hired. Because what matters more to me, more than like, you know, I didn't even ask for what her background was, what is her experience, give me her CV. I didn't even care. I actually don't even know what her CV looks like. I just, I'd rather have someone that's on fire for God and I perceive that and someone who's got a pure heart than anything else. Because everything can be learned. YouTube, everything can be learned. When it came to Sophia, the, the girl who does all our graphics now, I, it was like three weeks later. I saw them both in the office together. I saw her and I discerned. She's a like spirit. And uh, I went up to her. I said, hey, do you want to do graphics for the ministry? She didn't even know what Adobe, she didn't even have Adobe at that point. She didn't have any training on Adobe. She didn't have, Adobe is the software where we, we, do, we, we do all our graphics, our videos and stuff. She had no training. And that's not a, a <laughs> It's not an easy thing to learn. I said, if you want a job in graphics, it's yours. Well, I didn't know, but she already had thoughts that she wanted to do this for a ministry. So when I came, it was confirmation for her. She agrees to come on board. And by the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding that God gave her within a month and a half or two months, she learned the entire Adobe and she does all her graphics for the ministry today. That came from the discerning of spirits. I know who to hire. I know they're not gonna cause me problems. I know they're not gonna cause me trouble. I know they're not gonna cause me heartache. Listen. Problems come for free in life. You don't need to put them on payroll. And so that was my prayer. Lord, show you who know. Acts 1, you who know the hearts of all. Show which of these you have chosen to take part in this ministry. That was my prayer. And the discerning of spirits led me to the right people. This gift is extremely practical and will help you and be very beneficial for you. So the human spirit, number two, demonic spirits. Jesus in Luke chapter 13 sees a woman bent over double. And he says, this woman is bound by a spirit of infirmity. Spirit of infirmity, a spirit of sickness. He identified there's a spirit of sickness there. Jesus, in speaking of the devil, called out his nature. He said he's a liar from the beginning. He speaks of his own nature. When he speaks, he speaks of his own nature. He cannot tell the truth. He stands not in the truth. So th this discerning of spirits in casting out a devil, it would allow you to understand or discern which type of spirit you're, you're, you're talking to. A lying spirit. A deaf spirit. You know, Jesus, he put his fingers in the ear of a man and he said, you dumb and deaf spirit, come out of the man. He recognized this is not the auditory nerves that are done. See, this is extremely important, especially when you minister in healing because one out of every three people Jesus healed, he had to deal with a demon spirit at work. So when, if he had just come to the man and said, Lord, heal this man's uh, auditory nerves, nothing would have happened because his auditory nerves were perfectly fine. He had a deaf and dumb spirit that prevented him from speaking and hearing properly. And when he cast the spirit out, the mute man both spoke and heard. Number three, angelic spirits. Angelic spirits. You can discern not only demons. Be wary of people who all they only see is demons. There's something wrong there. If all you're seeing is demons, you yourself might need deliverance. I don't, just see, I don't see demons. I see angels. The angels of the Lord surround me, the Bible says. 
The angel of the Lord surrounds me. The angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him. He gives his angels charge to bear them up. There's angels around me. Be wary of everyone that's always like, I see a demon here, I see a demon there, there's a demon on you, there's a demon on that. But they never see angels. Discerning of spirits will allow you to see angels. You see this in Joshua 6. Joshua lifts up his eyes and the angel of the Lord is there. You see it in uh, Genesis 18. In Sodom, when Lot's there, there's two angels that came to him. He perceived those angels, discerning of spirits. When Jesus was in the wilderness, angels came and ministered to him, discerned those angels. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are in prison and an angel comes and breaks them out of prison. They discern the angels. Discerning of spirits operates in the discernment of angels. Number four, God's spirit. You can sense God's spirit in a meeting. I have a great story. You know what? I'm going to finish with this. We'll do the power gifts and the, and the inspiration gifts tomorrow. Discerning of spirits, type, the, the, the fourth type of spirit that you can discern is the spirit of God himself. There was um, two precious Bible college teachers that I had when I was at North Point Bible College in 2013 and 14. Their names were Linda and Ernie Henson. Great missionaries that spent their life on the mission field. I think they live in Texas now. They might actually be watching. I'm not sure. But they were heavy cessationists and Baptists, staunch Baptists. Did not believe in the move of the Spirit. Did not believe in tongues. Did not believe in any, you know, especially at that time it was the voice of healing revival. You had Catherine Coleman. You had A. Allen. You had all these guys rising up. They were totally against it. They mocked it. Well, one day... Ernie Henson, I don't know where he was, but he steps foot into a Pentecostal meeting and he gets baptized in the Holy Ghost after hearing about Acts chapter 2 preached accurately. So he gets the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He goes back home. He tells his wife, Linda, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I speak in tongues. Linda was not convinced and she said, great. Like she actually contemplated at one point leaving him because she, she thought that all those tongue talkers were lunatics that they were demon-possessed, and she's like, this guy is now my husband who's demon-possessed. I don't even know if I want to live with him anymore. So for many weeks, he tried to convince her. She was unconvinced. She was hostile towards it. A couple of weeks later, they're in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and as they're driving on a bridge, there's a big billboard that advertises in the main center, like the main forum in St. Louis, that there is Catherine Kuhlman in town. That is ministering and healing and miracles and in the power of the Spirit, by the gifts of the Spirit. Ernie says to his wife, Linda, I'll stop convincing you and trying to convince you of the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit if you just come, because he had known about Catherine Coleman. She was very, very popular at the time. If you come with me and spend one, one service in that woman's meeting, I'll never bring up the Holy Spirit tongues ever again to you just do this one thing for me she thought it was a great you know great bargain a great deal for her so she decided to go with them she saw the the form it was huge and it was cars wrapped around the parking lot so she said there's not even going to be any parking so you know what i'll go let's go so they go there's cars parked all around the parking lot no space to park at all one person ends up coming out of their parking spot that's like right near the front as they were about to leave. So that person leaves, they zoom on in, and they get a spot right at the front. She said, well, that's great. I saw the line to get in the building. There's probably not even enough room. The line was wrapped around the entire building. So she said, 
even if we got a parking spot, I don't care. We're not gonna we're not gonna get in anyway. So, and I'll I'll get I'll still have my end of the deal honored. He'll not bring it up again. So they get out of the car and they're going towards the front. Someone walks in through like the back door of the building as they're walking past it, and they notice notice Ernie. And uh, he goes, Ernie, is that you, Ernie Anson? He goes, yeah. He's like, uh, they were like friends from long ago. And they reconnected that night. They talked for about 10 minutes. And he says, you know what? I've got a seat, two seats that are empty uh, in the second row of the auditorium. Do you guys want those seats? He's like, absolutely. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, uh, they both go to the, to, to the front, the second row, and they sit down that night. Catherine Coleman comes out, and she has her arms crossed in the front row, or in the second row, and, and, and she's not happy to be there. And as she's ministering, Linda Hansen looks to the top left of the auditorium because she sensed something. And in the top left of the auditorium in the like bleacher area, there's this like cloud that starts to form. And she looks at the cloud and she nudges Ernie on the arm and says, do you see that cloud? And he starts to think she's mocking what's going on because she had heard about glory clouds and all that. She didn't believe any of it. So, she's, so he's starting to think she's mocking what's going on. So he says, like, pay attention. Conditioning duct that's broken or whatever. But the thing is the cloud kept on getting bigger and she saw like something like rain you know like when you see rain in the distance there's like this black thing that's just coming down and you know there's there's a cloud that's that's producing you know condensation all that well she saw that there was like rain just coming down and as it hit people she saw the people just falling out and like some people would shake some people just burst out in tongues as it hit them Finally, it keeps getting closer and closer. She's nudging Ernie. Make it stop. Make it stop. That thing's coming. We got to go. Ernie's like, listen, lady, pay attention. You're me. Like, she's causing a ruckus now. People are looking. She's, she's speaking louder now. She's not just whispering. She's like, pay attention. Sit straight. And she starts to sink down into her seat because she's trying to, like, avoid it hitting her as it gets closer. Finally, it comes over her, and she blows out in tongues and starts to speak in tongues and and her husband gets hit speaks in tongues and then Catherine Coleman says I believe the rain of the spirit has hit the building right now that what Linda Henson had right there at that moment was the discerning of the spirit of God in that service she saw the rain coming and approaching closer and closer as the spirit of God was pouring out his spirit on those people hallelujah I've seen this before I was in Guatemala and uh, I remember we were in a, a little church and Guatemala is not super hot, especially uh, when you're up in the mountains in Shela. There are places in Guatemala that are very hot. But when we were in Shela, Guatemala, I think we we're about like 20,000 or 10,000 feet above sea level. It was nighttime and it was during their, uh, it, it was like their fall or something like that. Anyways, it was pretty chilly. Like it wasn't, it wasn't chilly, but it wasn't hot. So I knew what I saw was not as a result of like heat haze that came into the building. And I remember I was preaching that night, small church, and I just started, as I'm preaching, I started to see like glitter in the air and this like haze develop. 
And I knew, like I said, the doors of the church were like pretty much open. And, uh, you know, in those, those churches in rural areas, they don't necessarily have windows and stuff. So like there was air circulation. So it couldn't have been just, couldn't have been just like heat building up in the place, like steam, as you'd see in a sauna. And so I, I started to see it, but I just kept preaching it. I thought maybe, you know, we'd been preaching every day for seven weeks. So I thought maybe I'm getting tired or something. As that cloud begins to form and get thicker and thicker and, and this, this flickering glitter that kept on, kept on uh, manifesting in the cloud, as it got thicker and thicker, the people, as I called them forth in the altar call, they rushed to the front, which we had been under Guatemalan churches and not every, I didn't see this everywhere. This particular night, they rushed to the front, they fell to their faces, laid prostrate on the ground. And for like, an hour and a half, miracles, signs and wonders began to pop off left, right, and center like popcorn, just exploded in the entire place. A man who was deaf in his ear, his ear came open. That same man had his wrist broken in a uh, motorcycle accident just a week or two before that. His wrist unlocked. He took off his cast. Supernaturally, he healed. There were people in that place that were coming, testifying of of, uh, blind eyes opening, deaf ear, just like everything that you would have seen in the book of Acts began to happen in that meeting. When I gave the altar call for salvation, I didn't have to twist anybody's arm. Everybody came forth and repented and gave their life to Christ that night. And when I got into the car that night, you know, I still thought maybe I was like tired. Maybe I was just seeing things. I got into the car and my friend Kyle Dross was with me, missionary uh, who was, the, who was we, were, we were together in Guatemala for seven weeks. And before I even brought it up, he looks at me and said, he said, uh, did you see that glory cloud tonight? And I said, yeah, I thought I was seeing things, but yeah, now that you think of it, that, that was absolutely the glory of the Lord. And that was a discerning of spirits. I was able to discern the spirit of God flowing in that place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this is an introduction to the gifts of the Holy Ghost, part one. Talk about the revelation gifts. Tomorrow we're going to do the power gifts and uh, the inspiration gifts. And we're going to dive deep into that and, uh, and study along those lines. But I want you to set your expectation that as I'm preaching and teaching on this, that you're going to experience the glory of the Lord and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that you'll be used in these things. That you're, you're going to be under the spout where the glory pours out. And that you'll be used mightily in the operation of these, this artillery, this arsenal to usher in this last time harvest in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining me today. If you'd like to sow, you can do so by going to salvationnow.ca slash give. Father, thank you for these people that have tuned in on this, uh, this Tuesday afternoon that are hungry and desiring earnestly the spiritual gifts. I, I ask you, Lord, that you would equip them thoroughly, train them up as I preach and teach along these lines. That from today, the supernatural would become a natural occurrence in their life. In Jesus' mighty name. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.